You're listening to a Fit Plus Love production. When we were at a recent camp, altitude camp in Lavinio, our team coach was getting us to ride with quite a low cadence up the hills and make it more of a strength effort because in races, basically, you're not going to go faster if you, unless you can push a harder gear or you can push against a higher resistance. So it's all about, for me, it's basically just all about overcoming the gear, basically, and making sure that I'm strong enough to be able to live with a lower cadence and then when I need to be able to just push over that cadence and also just when I'm on the descents or on the flat section, then I spin a little bit more. But when I'm on the climbs or there's a little bit more resistance, then I like to make sure it's a bit more of a strength effort just so I have the strength in my legs to actually be able to overcome the resistance and really push out that power when need be. That was Ella Harris. This is Marnie Salop. Thanks for tuning into my podcast, Marnie on the Move. Each week, I will be inviting interesting, innovative movers and shakers to join me on the show and share their story. You will discover and hear from thought leaders, experts, influencers, and entrepreneurs from the worlds of wellness, sports, beauty, fitness, fashion, and more. Marnie on the Move will feature an eclectic mix of people I know, work with, and think are generally doing cool things. On each episode, I sync up with my guests about life, career, and training, and showcase their expertise and story. Hello, Marnie on the Move listeners. Welcome and welcome back. I'm your host, Marnie Salop. As you know, this week, I am dedicating the mic to all things cycling. I hope you've had a chance to listen to... Kate Pallison from SRAM, and Kate Veranu from Zwift. Today on the podcast, I am joined by Ella Harris, a professional cyclist on the Canyon SRAM team. Canyon SRAM is a seriously awesome and inspiring team of 14 women cyclists from around the globe with a mission to take the lead by challenging the status quo and making cycling diverse and inclusive. Ella earned her spot on the pro cycling scene and the Canyon Tram team by winning the Zwift Academy in 2018 and unlocking the opportunity to join this incredible team. Zwift is the online fitness platform bringing gamification and adventure to indoor cycling, running, and triathlon training. Zwifters unlock badges, prizes, and in-game merch as they go. But thanks to the Zwift Academy, some lucky Zwifters unlock real-life opportunities. Ella Harris was one such lucky rider. Now, four years later, she is excelling in the sport. Before we get rolling, shout out to my sponsors, Inside Tracker and Alchemine Supplements. Inside Tracker is the ultra-personalized nutrition platform that analyzes your blood, DNA, and lifestyle to help you optimize your body from the inside out. They are my go-to for understanding my inner health, looking at my blood levels, and getting great nutritional insight. Inside Tracker transforms your body's data into meaningful insights and a customized action plan of the science-backed recommendations you need to reach your goals. Take control of your health and wellness. Unlock the power of your potential. Use our code for 20% off. Thank you, MOTM. And of course, there's a link in the show notes. Also, shout out to Alchemine Supplements and Dr. Daryl Joffrey. 
I am loving the Alchemind plant-based organic protein powder. It has three core alkaline proteins, Sacha Inchi, Pea, Hemp, and of course, it's sugar-free. It's been a great addition into my training and fueling. I'm also using their acid-kicking mineral mix when I'm out on the bike for hydration, as well as the acid-kicking greens in all of my smoothies and their omega-3 and black seed oil supplements for inflammation and general health. Check out their website, getoffyouracid.com, and use our code MOTM20 for 20% off. Now, back to our guest. On this episode, Ella chats with me about her recent success in the sport of cycling, the challenging but motivating realities of professional cycling, and all of the amazing places she gets to travel and ride. We sync up about her current training plan, nutrition, and what it takes to balance racing and her university classes at the same time. And Ella shares a few pro tips on proper cycling technique and the strategies she uses to stay on top of her game. I am sure that you are going to be incredibly inspired by our conversation. We have a lot of fun talking all things cycling. If you like what you hear, leave us a review. It's easy. Head over to your app, wherever you like to listen on your Apple device. Click on the five stars, click on leave a review and tell us what you love. Also, sign up for our newsletter, the download, and share this conversation with your friends on social media, wherever you like to get social. Now, on to my conversation with Ella. It's so great to meet you. Thank you so much for being on the podcast, Ella. No worries at all. Thank you for getting in touch. Yeah, this is so exciting. So you just finished the Lotto, and I'm going to say it wrong, but the Lotto Belgium tour. How are you feeling? Uh, I feel fine, actually. It was, uh, we finished on Friday, so... Is it Tuesday now? I think it's Tuesday. Yeah, it's Tuesday. Not- I know. I don't know what day it is, but it's like, yeah. so what was your, so what was it like? Like, what's the course like? Where did you ride? What, like, what was it like? Um, so the first day was a prologue. So we did basically a four kilometer time trial and it was a little bit drizzly, rainy, um, but it was around a flat, fast rectangle, basically, that they use for motorcycle racing. So uh-huh. the course was very fast and very non-technical. And as our performance director put it, if a motorbike can, can get around these corners at 150k an hour, then you can get around at 40k an hour. So <laughs> you don't need to use the brakes. It was, yeah, pretty straightforward. And then from there, stage one was just flat, fast, um, a course with laps. Cool. Uh, so I it was five laps or so of maybe 25k and then the next day was also five laps but these laps were really hilly cobbles tight corners uh twisty turns little punchy climbs it was basic I think lots of people described it as a mini tour of Flanders basically it was a really challenging course um and actually, I crashed into a cornfield 15 kilometers into the race. And I was thinking to myself, oh, my gosh, this is going to be such a long day. <laughs> Four more laps to go after that. Only like only 15 K in out of 140. So, yeah, it was it was a long one, but yeah. we got through. And then the final stage was up the it was featured around the Muir de, de Gerdesbergen. I've got terrible Belgian pronunciation, but a very 
Yeah, it was four times up this infamous climb and then uh, a few other climbs in there as well. Not so many cobblestones as the last day. The yeah. Stage three had 17K worth of cobbles. So the only cobbles on the final stage were the climbs, but my hands were still pretty beaten up after the how day you, before. Like, how do you ride over cobble on a road bike? What do you just like stand up on the pedals? I mean, what do you do? <laughs> There's like, there's a bit of a technique to doing it. Okay. The first time you do it, it just feels absolutely awful. And then as you do it more, then you sort of get used to it and you find what works and what doesn't. Standing up doesn't really work most of the time unless <laughs> you practice it a lot and you're pretty competent at it because you've got to have your weight a long way back and then yeah. you heel really far down and pushing a big gear and steady and making sure you're driving through your glutes basically. So there's a lot of technique that goes into it. So yeah, you've got to practice a lot. That's why I just stay on the saddle and just grind it out. <laughs> oh my God, I can't even imagine. How do you recover from that? Do you just take a couple of days off? Or do you have another race coming up? Yeah, so I had the next day off as a complete rest day. And then Sunday, I just did a couple of hours easy. Uh, yesterday, I did another couple of hours, but I just did a few sprints just to get my legs back into it. And then today... I did three and a half hours. So I did, I actually, because we have a tour next week as well. And in the tour that's just been for the time trial, I did my time trial warm up way too hard. I just, I used all my energy in the warm up basically. <laughs> and um, so I needed to practice my time trial warm up for next, for next week. So I actually did 20 minutes indoors this morning doing my time trial warm up practice, yeah. making sure I can. It not too hard and then uh then I did three and a bit hours on the road with just a few um building to my threshold uh efforts and then tomorrow I'll get out on the road and do some a bit more intensity on the time trial bike so yeah okay. it's just slowly building the intensity back into it and then back into some normal training before tapering off again for the tour next week Okay, that's cool. And so how do you, like, what do you do mentally to, like, pull yourself back when you have, like, all this energy and you feel like you want to, you know, go hard when you're out, when you're doing, like you said, your warm-up, you went too hard? Like, do you just, like, say, like, yeah, what do you do? <laughs> it's hard. Uh, yeah, normally I don't really have an issue with that, um, with pulling myself back from going too hard in training or in efforts because it hurts. So yeah. <laughs> don't let but, but in the warm-up um, and in certain efforts, it's it's pretty important to just stick to the desired target or yes. the set that you're supposed to be doing. Otherwise, you're just going into maybe a completely different energy system or yep. you're utilizing muscles or areas that don't need to be worked at that particular time. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, for me, it's just about thinking it through and just using common sense and logic basically and thinking mm, if I don't go so hard now and get my heart rate extremely high in the warm-up then I might actually be able to go a little bit harder in the actual race yeah I've been there you know and now I'm I am tapering right now I have two weeks taper before I'm doing yeah. a 70.3 triathlon and mm. you know now the workouts are so easy and psychologically I'm like no I want my fitness level because I'm at my peak fitness level right now. So yeah. I feel like I should race tomorrow. But now I have the day. And I'm, you know, I'm a recreational athlete. So I'm here doing all the things wrong, thinking like, 
oh no, I'm going to do a four hour bike tomorrow, even though it says one hour or, you know, things like that, that, you know, you have to like follow the plan and listen to your coach and, you know, don't, don't do the hard workouts now you you're tapering like that's yeah exactly it's hard for it's hard mentally to when you feel great and you feel like you have the energy to kind of pull it back I don't know yeah yeah I find it hard just just to go easy and before a race because I think what if I don't even finish the race right then it's like I'm Well, I feel like that, you know, I know you have a background in triathlon from when you were younger and also running. So I feel like, you know, it's it's hard when you start out slow or you start out easy, right, to kind of, I mean, it's it's not hard. It's just like, I don't know if it's psychological or physical, but sometimes like when you're doing a run and it's a negative split or when, you know, you're doing a triathlon, you have to conserve your energy and you feel like, oh, well, if I conserve it now, how am I going to ramp it up later? I mean, I'm sure it's not a problem and you have a coach, but for recreational athletes, I feel like it's a, it's a real thing. <laughs> no, I'm I'm definitely uh, guilty of going too hard too soon. <laughs> what do you love about cycling? Because I know, like I just said, you know, you have you know you were running, you were competitively running and doing triathlon when you were younger in junior high school, right? Or high school? I was a junior. Yeah, when you were junior. So, yeah. what is it about cycling that you love? It's not like the racing side or the competitive side. Uh, nothing like that, really. I just I just enjoy being out on the bike and the freedom that it brings and you can just challenge yourself in uh, your own little ways. And I just like to be able to feel like I'm competent at something and that it's just there are so many little skills and technique things that you can work on with cycling and you can constantly improve, whether it's absolutely blasting down a descent or just you know working on just uh, maybe strength on the bike and just slow cadence and just getting your technique really dialed in there are just lots of different things that you can concentrate on and constantly challenge yourself with and you can just explore so many different places and I really like just riding with friends and having no particular aim or set targets to do just riding for hours on end and then maybe stopping for a sandwich and a coffee and yeah just enjoying the day and so what are some of your favorite courses or types of riding to do uh, long, slow, well, not so slow. I have uh, one set pace that I tend to ride at. If you know me, you'll know that I just sort of, I just go steadily all day long, always on the pedals. Um, so I enjoy just uh, just tapping it out for five hours just around the hills or uh, trying new routes, exploring different places. Yeah, just Long rides, really. Long endurance rides are my favorite. You're in your third year as a pro cyclist on the Canyon Tram team. But it all really began because you were the winner of the 2018 Zwift Academy. And as a result of that, you unlocked the opportunity to be part of the Canyon Tram professional cycling team. So what was it like to go from one of us, Zwifters, riding as part of our training to, and an amateur cyclist to join this professional team and, you know, hang with the pros. It's like nearly, nearly four years ago now, I guess. Is it four years? Yeah. Yeah. Basically when I started the Zwift Academy, I was just considering my options in life. Really. I was, I think in my second year out of high school and I was studying at university um, via distance learning already 
because I wanted to do something with my cycling, but I wasn't quite sure what I wanted to do. I wanted to become professional and I wanted to get to a very high level, but being in New Zealand, it's difficult to find a way to actually go about that because you're so far away and financially, it's a huge commitment to be able to get to Europe. And physically, it's obviously a big commitment to travel over there and stay for a long period of time. Um, so I was considering my options really, and I'd been to the US prior to the Zwift Academy starting and I'd done some Criterium racing. Right. It actually, looking back, it's a bit of a joke now because I am so bad at accelerating at sprinting or anything like that. I just have about three fast switch muscle fibers in my body. I'm just very much <laughs> But I did these criterium races um, in America and in Canada, and I actually really enjoyed them. And I was just, it was more for experience. It wasn't necessarily to actually get results because, yeah, physically I'm not that type of rider, but I just did it to, to get the experience, to get the, the technique, the um, practice in the bunch, the handling, that sort of thing, just to gain some skills. Yeah. Um, so that went really well. And then I came back and I think it was July or August. It was New Zealand winter anyway. And I was just, wasn't quite sure what to do with myself next. Uh, and I knew the Zwift Academy was coming up. I'd seen it advertised when I was in America. And one of my friends, he's really into Zwift and he's actually uh, a pretty competitive Zwift racer himself. Um, so he's sort of gave me an extra little nudge and said, come on, are you going to do it? Like, you've got no reason not to basically. And I knew I didn't, but I just, I wasn't quite sure how it would fit in with my training right. uh, and the racing in New Zealand. But in the end, I just decided to, yeah, give it a crack. I messaged my coach and said, can we try and fit these in, uh, the training sessions in? So yeah, we uh, put them into my program and it actually was a lot easier to fit in than I thought it was. Right. I just that having to cram these workouts into my training program would just be too much. But really, I, I put it in the too hard basket when really it didn't need to be there. It was completely manageable. And yeah, it was it was a great decision. And you still train on a trainer indoors when you have to, right? I mean, it's part of your training or not anymore. No, not necessarily when I have to. I, I enjoy like training. Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, I did a, a ride indoors this morning. So oh, I do did. it fairly regularly. Yeah, my coach is, uh, he's a coach with Zwift. He uh, was one of the coaches for the Zwift Academy last year. So obviously he's very much into Zwift. So if he thinks it's beneficial for me to do a session on Zwift, then I will be on Zwift. Yeah. So I mean, there's a lot of cyclists out there, you know, that are like, oh, I can't ride indoors. It's the same kind of people that say like, I don't like the treadmill or, you know, they don't want to swim in a pool. <laughs> But we yeah. all know that that's okay because the secret is really like, you know, getting your training in and Zwift is amazing. I mean, I love being on Zwift. So the rides, like the shorter rides I'll do on Zwift just because it's such a, it's so much easier to do a shorter ride for, um, for me on Zwift than to go outside because by the time I get so outside, it's already like, and to get to a place where I can ride in New York City, it takes you know, at least a good mm. hour. So I've wasted like an hour of my workout getting somewhere on my bike, you know? I mean, it's not a waste, but you know what I mean. <laughs> Sometimes if I'm lazy, I'll just do my 60-minute ride on Zwift just because I can't be bothered leaving the house. It's just convenient. Even though I've got roads completely fine five minutes away. Just... Are you back in Spain now? Or are you, where are you now? 
Uh, yes, I'm in Spain. You're back in Spain, in Girona. That's where your team trains. Yeah. The only downside here is that the apartment I'm in doesn't have very good ventilation and the Spanish summer is very hot. And the fact I, I don't have very good fans either. So <laughs> a couple of weeks ago, I injured my shoulder. So I had to do a couple of rides on Zwift, um, just move my training indoors for a little bit. And I ended up inadvertently doing heat training and just absolutely cooking myself after three days just because it got so hot and so sweaty in here that's a good training idea like you know instead of being upset about the heat like just turning it into a training tool yeah exactly I do that with yoga sometimes I'll I practice yoga on Mondays and Fridays and sometimes I don't turn the air conditioning on and I pretend I'm in Mysore India (laughs) It works. Yeah, I'm like, well, this is how people really practice. So I guess, you know, I'm not going to end. It's so hot, though. But yeah, I mean, I do. I do have to admit that I'm not. I do have fans and AC, but I don't really like it. So I also think it's great for the, for training. But yeah. When I'm back, sometimes I go to a hot yoga class and sometimes I get so sweaty. I just I can't do the, the poses anymore because I'm too gets too slippery I tried hot yoga a few times and um I want to like it but I can't that much yeah yeah but I do but do you practice yoga is that part of your train I mean I know it's not training specific but is that part of your fitness routine in general a little bit I do just more general stretching I wouldn't call it yoga specifically yeah The more sort of general downward dog moves. Yeah, just stretching out the calves. Yeah, yeah, my own interpretation. For anyone who's thinking of joining the Zwift Academy and, you know, take doing the program for this upcoming Zwift on August, I think they're launching it August 30th. What's the, what is it like? Like, is it just every day you're riding and training or how does it work? I'm not really sure what it will be like this year because... It's changed a little bit every year since I did yeah. it, but when I did it, you had to complete a certain number of workouts and then do the group rides. And then there was also some, oh, also two races, I think it was, to graduate from the Zwift Academy. But I think they've actually made it a little bit easier over the years. I don't think there are so many workouts. The workouts will be just as hard, but I don't think there are quite so many. So it might be more achievable to, to fit into everyday life or a training program. I think it will still be over the same period of time as well. So it's just about fitting in one or two sessions a week, just wherever you can. And actually it's, it's fairly achievable to, to fit in. Yeah. Did you feel like it, even if you didn't end up winning, did you feel like it really helped you as a cyclist to become better at cycling? Definitely. I think it really helps to highlight your strengths and weaknesses when you do the different workouts that are targeting Uh, different power zones and different energy systems in the body it really helps to see oh yeah I'm finding this session relatively okay or the next time you do another session it might be slightly different you might find it a lot more challenging and different riders find different sessions a lot easier or a lot more challenging depending on the certain type of rider that you are Mm -hmm. so it's quite really highlighting your strengths and weaknesses on the bike and then being able to do something about it (laughs) So you said like you touched on something that I'm super curious about, like the type of rider that you are. So you had mentioned earlier that you like doing endurance and that you can really hold a solid pace 
for a long mm. period of time. So you like doing long endurance rides. And so does that mean that you like doing hills? Or are you better on flat? Where do you excel in the world of cycling? If you were to have to say like what kind of course? I'd say I'm, I'm all terrain. Okay. <laughs> terrain vehicle. All terrain. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, I, I can be strong on the flats. Yes. On the climbs. Um, I do enjoy going downhill fast. So uh, there's also that. Um, I wouldn't say I'd, if you came to the line with me in a sprint, then most likely you'd win. Uh, I do not sprint at all. But yeah, I'd, I'm quite a, an all-round rider, I guess. I don't, yeah, I can I can get over the climbs fairly well. And then on the flat, I can be quite strong as well. So yeah. And you can like, you can maintain a good cadence that you are like, because you said, because you can just like go. Yeah, I definitely prefer more of a consistent power output. Yeah. In races, I actually struggle a lot because if I have to accelerate out of corners or I have to do a few high intensity efforts before going into a steady climb or an effort at my threshold if I've already been above my threshold for a while and then I have to maintain a high effort I really struggle with that sort of thing so I guess time trials are more are more up my alley just because then I can control the speed myself and I don't have other people dictating how fast I need to go out of a corner yeah <laughs> what's your fate what are some of your favorite places to ride I don't know how many races you've done but you've traveled all around the world to compete so you know, what are some of your favorite places to ride? Yeah, I've seen, I've definitely seen quite a few places in the past few years. I really enjoyed uh, Boulder in Colorado when I was there in 2019. Uh, I did the tour of Colorado and the Steamboat Springs gravel race. So I saw quite a bit of Colorado and I really liked it there. And recently I was in Lavigno in Italy. It's quite high altitude in the mountains. And I rode up the, some famous climbs like the Stelvio, the Gavia, the Mortarolo. And I really liked it around there. It was just beautiful. I've, I've never really been in the, in the proper mountains like that before. And it was, yeah, it was amazing. It was what was so the, nice. What's the elevation there? Do you know? Do you remember? We were staying at 1,800 meters. But I think some of the climbs we did, we would have got up to about 2,700. So not like really high. I think in Colorado and Boulder, you can get a bit higher. But yeah. High enough. <laughs> That's fun. And so, what do you do? Like, when you're climbing, what technique are you using to get up the hill? Like, in terms of pedaling, are you pulling up on the pedals? I'm asking um, amateur cyclist questions. Like, I'm really learning about cycling right now. And I'm just curious because I love hills. Yeah. It's actually a genuinely good question because when you first start cycling and when you first get into the sport, you don't actually realize how technical just sitting on your bike is and just the positioning and there's actually so much thought and time that goes into actually dialing in your technique and I've actually done a lot of it in recent times just working on my pedaling and um, my cadence and my power output and making sure the power that I'm producing is coming from the right places so like when I'm going up a climb it's I'm finding at the moment it's because last year I broke my femur um, on my right leg so that leg I guess since then it hasn't been quite as strong or it's producing a similar power but it needs a little bit of a reminder from time to time to actually go around properly and right. really push down so 
whenever I'm going through the pedal stroke with my right leg, I try and push from one to four, if you're imagining a clock, just to give it like a little kickstart because that's the most important part of the pedal stroke is the, is the initial one to four section. And then from there, it sort of floats around, but it's just important for it to get that initial acceleration. So that's what I do with my right leg. Anyway, I just yeah. press one to four with my foot just to make sure that it's, I'm sort of, I guess it's neurological pathways and just, you know, re reconnecting things in my brain and in my leg just to make sure that, yeah, the leg's fully firing again. Um, but then I also really concentrate on having my heels down as well right. and pushing for my glutes. So not so much quad dominated because when the quads get too involved, then you can get all sorts of issues with your knees and yeah, it's just about balancing the workload, I guess. How do you communicate with your glutes to be active on the climb? And then how do you go back to getting your quads? Like what's that pedal stroke or body position like? Well, your glutes should be the powerhouse of your pedal stroke, no matter where you're riding, basically. It's not just on the climbs where your glutes should be working, but naturally they'll work more there just because you need a higher power output most of the time to actually get up the climbs. But it's funny because when you first start cycling, you just you don't think about this stuff. You just ride a bike and you just ride along. And it's just as you become more involved and you do it more often, these just little things start to creep into your head and then <laughs> you've just got so many things to think about, like pedal stroke. But it's, first of all, before I actually go out riding in the mornings, I do some glute activation work. So first of all, it's important to actually make sure that your glutes are firing and that even when you're sitting down on the couch, you can just fire each individual glute. Yes. Like I'm doing right now. <laughs> I'm so trying that, to do it. I'm like, how do I fire my glutes? <laughs> Yeah, and even when you're walking upstairs, yeah, concentrating just in day-to-day -day life on just experimenting and seeing if you can get your glutes firing. And once they're working, then you'll know because you can feel it the next day it. and be quite a foreign, foreign feeling. You'll be like, ooh. Well, you can really feel it when you're going up a hill, right? I mean, that's the best time that you want to take that feeling and say that's how it should feel all the time because your glutes really, I don't know. That's even when you're running, like when you go up a hill, like your body should naturally like move into that zone. Yeah. And it's also important to have a good bike position as well, a good bike fit, because if your bike fit isn't as favorable, then you might be inadvertently placing pressure on other muscle groups as well. So yeah. it's about having a bike fit that's actually comfortable and that puts you in a good position to actually be able to use your glutes and the important muscle groups. And it's also useful to have a stable core and good core stability. So you're able to use that as keeping yourself still on the bike as well. Lots of things to think about. Yeah, but that's good because... Your pelvis, <laughs> relaxing the shoulders. <laughs> I think all that's good because when you're out on a bike for a couple of hours, and especially when you're climbing, you don't want to think about climbing. You want to think about other stuff so you can get up the hill. <laughs> True. Sometimes it does get too much. Sometimes you just want to switch the thoughts off and just ride your bike. Yeah. My other current like curiosity is uh, gear switching and maintaining a steady cadence, right? So, and this is something that someone mentioned to me recently, a cycling coach when we were out on a ride, 
because I was trying to maintain my cadence. You know, I would I just focus on different things when I when I ride. So mm-hmm. on this particular ride, I was thinking about my cadence and trying to keep it. You know, between like for me, you know, I'm five one. I'm like 105 pounds, so I can't. I don't have a, a lot of watts right now. <laughs> And so I'm probably, that's not an excuse because I know that I was watching the course and like all the women look kind of tiny too. Like there's all different kinds of riders, but I saw people crushing it that were like the same size as me. So I don't know what my excuse is, but, um, but no, seriously, I was interested in learning more about, you know, the gear changes and how often you're shifting and you know, why are people shifting so often? Is it to stay, are you looking at your cadence to maintain a certain cadence or, you know, what is that all about? Is that too much, like too technical? To be honest, I don't really worry about my cadence. You don't, okay. I ride along and actually when when we were at a recent camp, altitude camp in Lavinio, our team coach was getting us to ride with quite a low cadence up the hills and make it more of a strength effort because in races, Basically, you're not going to go faster if you, unless you can push a harder gear or you can push against a higher resistance. So it's all about, for me, it's basically just all about overcoming the gear basically and making sure that I'm strong enough to be able to ride with, with a higher, with a lower cadence. And then when I need to be able to just push over that cadence and also just when I'm on the descents or on a flat section then I spin a little bit more but when I'm on the climbs or there's a little bit more resistance then I like to make sure it's a bit more of a strength effort just so I have the strength in my legs to actually be able to overcome the resistance and really push out that power when need be. So you're focused on power and watts when you're training primarily. Yeah basically. There's a lot of things you can focus on right I mean but as a professional cyclist that's your focus that's your training you're looking at power and watts, not so much at cadence or heart rate or things like that. Yeah, well, it's harder to to put out um, higher power when you've got higher cadence um, right. because the resistance is lower. So, just it's for me, it's just about finding that balance and, and just you- making sure that I can spin my legs when need be, just for the recovery and just to loosen them up in races and when I don't actually need to be putting pressure on the pedals, but when I need to put pressure on the pedals and I need to go fast, I need to make sure my legs have the strength to do that. So what do I have to do to be a better cyclist? Do I need to ride more hours in the week? I've got the glute part down. To be honest, I just focus on the little things like the heels down, like the technique, making sure that I'm fueling properly in the races, just the little things like in road races, it's positioning is important. So trying to conserve energy that way and use my energy when it counts, spending all my time in the wind although in triathlon. Yeah, it's different. Time in the wind. <laughs> but triathlon yeah, just, is different. I, yeah. I program and I hope for the best. <laughs> and so, you know, what's like, so what's your, what's your average weekly training like these days before the taper, like during your peak week leading into a long race what's your training like I think for one of the biggest weeks I would probably do 25 to 30 hours of riding not I know some people do a lot more than that generally I'd probably even be between 20 and 25 I can't really think of a week at the moment well in recent times where I've 
really done a lot of volume. When I was at altitude a couple of weeks ago, I think our seven day average, it might've been over 30 hours and it was, it was, it was 800 kilometers or something anyway. Um, but it wasn't particularly fast just because we're going up and down mountains all day, but yeah, it's, it's generally 25 to 30 hours. I haven't gone, I don't think I've gone over 800 before. Um, but yeah, generally around there. What kind of rides are you doing? Like, is it intensity? Are there intervals? Is it endurance? Like what's the breakdown of the training? Like at the moment, um, because I have a week, a week and a bit between races, two weeks actually, uh, I'm doing, I have a solid block of training that I'm doing, but I'm not actually doing too much just because the intensity is a little bit higher. And then um, before I know it, I'll be tapering off again for the next race. But I think if it's more of a less intense week, then I might do a higher volume. It might just be about getting the endurance in the legs and just getting in the in the case but there'll still be a little bit of intensity involved as well but it might vary it's more a question for my coach I don't really look at it too much I just, just do, you just do what you're told because you're a good athlete I don't look into the reason for it <laughs> don't ask questions and therein lies the answer to my original question what is the secret to your success the secret I don't even know <laughs> it's a secret you listen to your coach yeah what are some of the biggest lessons that you have learned as a pro cyclist in the past few years that maybe you didn't know before you went pro like as a cyclist um maybe how much food you have to eat (laughs) (laughs) I know right you have to eat a lot of food yeah yeah you don't realize how important fueling is in and around your training until you hit rock bottom or something goes wrong and you're like, Oh, (laughs) what have I done? How did I get to this point? Yeah. Because cycling, you burn a lot of calories. And if you're on the bike 20 to 25 hours a week, I mean, Mm. what's your nutrition like typically? Like what are you eating? What kind of foods are you focused on? Does it shift throughout the year? Well, it hasn't been very good in the past it's what I was alluding to because I mean, broken femur, it's quite a hard bone to break. So, uh, yeah, I wasn't exactly in the, the best physical condition last year. I was a little bit malnourished. From that point on, I've slowly been changing my ways. And I guess it's about, I mean, I've always eaten really well and I've been a very healthy eater, but too healthy. And I've I guess maybe too much salad, too many vegetables, too many things that don't have enough carbs. Yeah. So for me, it's been about increasing my carbohydrate intake and actually relaxing a little bit with what I've been eating because I haven't been eating enough when I've been training. So I'm just working on improving that at the moment and working with a nutritionist and actually you don't realize that, well, when you need to eat carbs to be able to fuel your training it doesn't have to like you can't just eat healthy food all the time because yeah. you're not going to really get a hang of a hang of a lot of carbs from those so it's just been about experimenting relaxing a little bit eating haribo eating cake from the supermarket when i'm riding just whatever has the quick carbs really just yeah. exploring really and just yeah just trying new things and how did you break your femur bone um i crashed the day before strada bianchi 
just I slid out on a on a corner. It was a very greasy corner. There was nothing to indicate that it was slippery, but I came around the corner at a normal speed and my bike just went completely out from me. Yeah, smack bang on my leg. Yikes. Crashing happens more often than you would think when you're out on the bike so much. I mean, maybe it's just a probability thing. Like the more you ride, the more chances are that that could happen. How do you mentally come back from something like that? Was it, were you just like, oh, I crashed and I'm just going to get back on the bike or were you kind of devastated? I was pretty fast to come around to the idea that I was out of the sport for a while, basically. So once I got over the fact that I wouldn't be racing the next day and that I wouldn't be racing for probably another couple of months and I wouldn't be riding for another month at least, then I was okay because you've just got to accept the situation and the fact that it's not going to get better unless you have the surgery and you go through the rehab and it's just something you've got to do. There's no other way of getting around it. So you may as well just accept it and move on and just stay positive because otherwise it's going to be a bit of a painful journey. So yeah, there's no other option. No, exactly. Like I was, I couldn't lie and I couldn't move around in bed without screaming in pain. So I had to have the surgery to get better and then I had to go through the rehab. So that was that. Like, And you think it was because you weren't, you didn't have enough of like certain foods that you were eating and healthiness. And it was like, maybe your bone would not have broken in that situation. Had you have had a better nutrition plan? Hard to know because my, my bones, my bone health right at the time, but also the fall, there was quite a bit of impact from the fall. So it's hard to know whether it was just indeed my bones and the fact there wasn't much protection around them (laughs) or the fall also had something to do with it but I think maybe if if a fully grown male was in the same situation and crashed the same way maybe they wouldn't break their femur (laughs) I hear what you're saying I mean I don't know you probably yeah I mean so now are you so you're just eating carbs and trying to really just get back in that like get back to a healthy place because and it, it is true like you really do when you're training need to eat a lot of carbs and they need to be the carbs that your body can burn quickly, like for, for fuel. So unfortunately, like those carbs have sugar in them or they have things in them that aren't normally good for you. But in those moments, like you need that. Just increasing my overall energy intake because until you do the maths and you see how much you're eating and then how much you're burning and training and then seeing the difference, you don't realize actually how much you need to eat. And then you get that food and you're like, Oof, that's a lot of food. But And then the nutritionist tells you how much you need to eat and it's just it's a whole nother picture. Yeah, you just have to follow the program. I mean, when you're a pro, but even for an amateur athlete like me, who's maybe training 12, 14 hours a week at my peak training for triathlon, now I'll go down to like nine hours. And, you know, you got to eat a lot of food. And it's like, you know, what foods do you eat? And my go-to carb is is sweet potatoes like I feel like that's a good carb Mm. to have but I just after a while you get sick of eating sweet potatoes yeah yeah you can't be too picky when it comes to getting in the food anything and everything especially on your body just chews through it so just keep getting it down do you put do what do you do for fueling and hydration on when you're training and racing like do you have certain brands that you use yeah, our team is sponsored by Morton. Mm-hmm. So 
I use the Morton, I think it's the three, 360, the 320 or 360, 320 and the 160, I think. Yeah. Maybe that's it. Yeah. Uh, in the race, I have the 320 and then the 160 and then in training, I just use whatever's available. If it's the 160, if it's 320, normally I'm training enough that I need all those carbs anyway, yeah. whether I take I take the 320, then I probably need the 320, so it's fine. <laughs> yeah, so you put the 320 in one water bottle, right? And then that's... And that's 80 grams of carbs. Yeah. Boom. So but you don't drink that in an hour, do you? Uh, in a race, yes. You do? You drink a water bottle per hour? Yeah, I try to, although sometimes it's easier said than done for me. I've been testing out my nutrition because my body has totally changed. So during COVID, I wasn't really training or racing I don't know, you know, in 2020, I know that you were doing, you were training and racing, right? Because you have a few races on your schedule, yeah. but like for, for most people, they weren't right. So my body mm -hmm. kind of changed and now the stuff that used to work for me, it doesn't work for me anymore. And do you also do like noon hydration or electrolytes and magnesium or? Sometimes we add just electrolytes to our bottles um, because Morton doesn't have any electrolytes in them. Right. But most of the time it's fine. I'm normally okay. But yeah, some of the other riders like to make sure they're getting in electrolytes as well. Just curious because you do, you're out there, you know, intensity is high and it's not like you're doing an hour race. <laughs> you most, you do a lot of long rides. So you, and you're, it's hot and you're in altitude and all those things, right? So definitely my nutrition has totally changed. I don't know like what happened. I mean, COVID happened. COVID happened. Yeah. What were you doing? during COVID? I came to Spain initially to start racing in March. And then once Spain went into lockdown, I left pretty promptly after that back to New Zealand. And then once the borders opened again to Europe for New Zealanders, then I came back. So I think that was July, early July, I came back. And then I stayed until late or mid-November. And New Zealand was, but it was one of the places that was safer during COVID have much COVID at all but that didn't mean that we didn't have a lockdown <laughs> um, because yeah the the approach in New Zealand was to go hard go early um, so the lockdown was was in force rather soon and um, at a similar time to the other to the European countries basically but it was just able to be lifted a lot earlier because <laughs> there was no no people coming into the country, so no COVID to, to come in. And it was just about managing what had come in. And then once that happened, then, yeah, the coast, the country was clear, basically. So it was smooth sailing after that, just making sure that the, um, the people that did come into the country, once the flights reopened um, and the managed isolation hotels, um, yeah. they were in place, just about making sure that didn't get out from the hotels which happened a couple of times but yeah that's <laughs> nice that okay. must have felt good being there I mean not the lockdown but just like that there wasn't COVID or there were very yeah. limited cases yeah it's really nice there most people in New Zealand don't actually realize how good they have it really yeah because <laughs> New Zealand and it's just completely life as as usual and then you come back to Europe and it's a little bit more real having to put the mask on but I think most people over here now are just going about their lives and just forgetting that COVID ever happened, just trying to leave it in the past. So yeah, it's, it's a lot better over here than it has been. Yeah, I can imagine. I mean, it's, it's same here. I mean, 
it's like it never happened, but I still, I still sometimes wear my mask, even though I'm vaccinated and everything. I'm, I'm a little, not when I'm out training, but like just in places where I feel like it might be a little sketch. Yeah. I'm not quite sure if there's going to be like an official sort of announcement, like COVID's over now or (laughs) people are just doing their own thing and deciding, oh yeah, it's finished. Oh, well, I feel like there was an announcement in New York city because they basically, the announcement was like, people got like drunk all over the streets (laughs) Like they were celebrating like two weeks ago when our mayor decided it's, it's like crazy. It's crazy, but you know, whatever it's, it is what it is. I just, I just don't. Yeah. New York city was also just on lockdown. uh, Not the same way that Europe was, but I think people have officially lost their minds in New York city now and they're out partying at every possible moment. Easily done. <laughs> what are you looking forward to in 2021, like in terms of training and racing? And like, what do you have lined up for your schedule? I'm not really too sure, actually. We don't have after the race next week, um, which is the Benny Ladies Tour. It's like a tour in Belgium and the Netherlands on the border. I'm not really too sure what exact racing I have after that because there's about a month with no racing. So We'll have a little bit of a rest, a bit of a break, and then build back into things. I'd really like to do the Tour of Norway, um, but I'm not sure if um, I'm a starter for that. We'll see. But I also want to do the World Champs as well, which is in Belgium at the end of the year. So it's not really October, I think. Oh, so it's a while. Yeah, Belgium isn't really my favorite country to race in, but I'd really like to do the World Champs again. So... (laughs) yeah we'll make it work yeah so what is your favorite country to race in I really like the UK although I haven't raced in the UK for since 2019 Um, but I did the tour of Yorkshire and then the world championships in Yorkshire and it was really cool the atmosphere and the crowds were just incredible and I think at the world champs I had more people cheering for me and cheering my name than I have had ever in my life even racing in New Zealand so wow It was was really cool. But I also like Spain and racing on the roads in Spain because they're just really nice, wide, open roads and there isn't too much carnage. Yeah. Nice tricks sometimes and some good climbs. Yeah. So do you ever, are there ever times where you're riding your bike and you just are not competing or, you know, training and you're like, stop and do a selfie (laughs) in a beautiful road, in a beautiful place? (laughs) pictures sometimes yeah I make my Strava's got lots of pictures on it my dad likes to see pictures so I take some for him (laughs) do they do you like riding do you like riding in New Zealand I mean where do you like to ride there where you yeah I I really like riding there when I'm home but it's actually quite limited because there aren't really so many roads around where I live yeah most of the rides that you can do are just out and back or you can do a big loop but it's like a, it's a really big loop and you wouldn't really want to do it on a regular basis. <laughs> so yeah, it's like the scenery and the terrain and the views are really nice where I live in New Zealand. But yeah, the roads are, are pretty nasty just because the road ship's really rough there and yeah. some steep climbs and yeah, it's not, it's a little bit limited sometimes. So but it's just nice to have a bit more variety in Europe and you can just do loops wherever you like and every road links up to another road and you don't have to come back the same way yeah that's kind of good like from a mental perspective and just kind of like you know being out exploring new places yeah exactly yeah do you typically ride with your team 
or do you ever ride by yourself solo just go out for a ride most of the time I just ride by myself because because sometimes well most riders have quite varied training programs and somebody might have intervals to do one day and then somebody else might have a recovery day so most days it never really quite works in it's really nice to get a group together to do like a big long ride but yeah most of the time it's just easier to do your own thing if you've got some hilly fits and then some sprints then you've got to try and plan a route around that and somebody else might not want to go that way then (laughs) just gets a bit confusing and sometimes it's just best to stick to yourself yeah and so you you have places that you ride where you feel safe that you can just go do a ride out where you live in Girona I have my go-to roads. Yeah. And so when you're not on the bike, what are you doing? Like when you're not psych, what do you like to do for fun? Well, I don't really do it for fun, but I have my university studies. So I have to, <laughs> I have to keep up with that. More often than not, I just let it slide and then it catches up on me very quickly. And I have three days to do two assignments. So yeah, I try and keep on top of it. But what are you studying? I do food marketing. So It's quite random, but I like it. I just chose it off the university website because it was one of the only courses that actually interested me that they offered online. So I just went with it and yeah, I'm, I think I'm nearly finished. I have, I just have to do some work experience for it. So yeah, I'll be graduating next year and I try and keep on top of that when I can, when I have the motivation. Obviously, you're a professional cyclist, so you're going to continue doing that. And I know it sounds like a dream job. It is a dream job, but then there are other elements that it's not all sunshine and roses. The toll it takes on your body is quite a bit. And I have to say, I mean, I have been reconsidering what I've been doing just because having a broken femur, having two broken collarbones, having a cracked pelvis, like broken elbow like it's just a little bit too much sometimes if there's if there's another major injury then yeah that might be my retirement calling <laughs> but yeah no I I do enjoy it and it's just it's been quite a long road to recovery and back to fitness since my femur so I'm still almost awaiting the race where I can really just be like yeah I'm back again yeah but yeah it's yeah, no, it's, it's definitely rewarding once once everything falls into place. Awesome. Uh, that's awesome. And so so you're studying. So you're studying food marketing and you think, do you think that that's something that like a career you might get into at some point of your of your life where you might get into like work for, I don't know, like consumer packaged goods or one of these nutrition companies? Yeah, I'd really like to. Um it sounds like quite a niche degree when you first hear it and then you think about it and you're like, wow, everybody eats food. It's not going away in a hurry. The food industry <laughs> is powerful in the world and they need marketers to help, uh, to help run it. So help fuel it. Yeah. I think I definitely like to work for a food company. I mean, it would be really cool to work for a cycling specific nutrition company. But then I also just like the cute little peanut butter companies in New Zealand and the niche vegan. Yeah. Were you vegan before? I'm not vegan, but oh. I just, yeah, I, I eat anything, but I just like to, to look towards, I'm quite interested in when new products and new companies come out on the scene and into the supermarket. So I really like to try them and I like to, to have a look and follow them. And yeah, so 
new products and new foods really interest me and obviously growing consumer trends towards healthier eating and the likes of veganism and whole foods and that sort of thing yeah and if you had to pick something on your bucket list what would it be I don't really have like a an ultimate dream I'm just I more just go year by year I guess Uh, but next year I really want to do the Commonwealth Games in Birmingham Uh, so that's sort of a big a big big goal at the moment um, and then once I get there, we'll we'll reevaluate things and see where I'm at. But yeah, I also really want to get into gravel racing as well. I was so, going to ask that next, by the way. So I don't really know much about the too many of the gravel races. Like I don't know. I just know a few of the big names. Yeah. Dirty. Yeah, I'd really like to to get into doing some of that. So how do you get into gravel from road cycling? Because I'm also totally interested in. I don't know how how I'll make the transition in the future. We'll see. I guess it starts with the right bike. Well, yeah, I need a gravel bike for starters. In your off month, will you do any other sport? I really like to to go walking. Walking's my big thing. Yeah. <laughs> when I get home and I'm with my parents, then we just go on fast walks. We just speed walk around the neighborhood. We try and do sub nine minute kilometers for walking. And that's, that's quite fast. Yeah, that is fast blowing my own trumpet we're quite fast walkers so yeah that's what I like to do but I also like to slow it down sometimes and not do speed walks but more just walks in nature or I really like to visit different places and new cities and I just wander around all the streets just every single street I just go up and down the shops and around the cafes and try all the cafes and try the nice coffee and just wander everywhere so yeah one of my things that's so cool so do you set do you go sometimes when you can to like a race or a new place early so you can do that or you do it after normally with races it's quite difficult because we just fly in and then we fly out but like last last week I had a couple of days between our training camp in Lavinia and then the race in Belgium so I went to the city in Austria for a couple of days. <laughs> it wasn't actually as big as I thought it was. So there weren't many streets to walk around, but I went to some nice cafes and it was right on Lake Constance. So every time I finished a ride, I was able to just go straight in for a swim. So that was really nice as well. So you still swim a little bit for fun. <laughs> yeah, fun swimming, not on the sea. I hate the beach. I just hate sand. So jumping into the lake. Yeah, like jumping off the jetty or rocks. Yeah. Awesome. Well, this has been so much fun. No worries. Thank you for having me. Thanks again for tuning in to Marnie on the Move. If you like what you hear, leave us a five-star review in Apple Podcasts. Follow us on social at Marnie on the Move for Facebook and Instagram and Marnie Salop on Twitter. Head over to our website, MarnieOnTheMove.com for more info on this episode links in the show notes and of course sign up for our quarterly newsletter the download to get updates deals giveaways and information on future events for 2019 i want to hear from you email me marnie on the move one at gmail.com and let me know what you're enjoying what you want to hear more of if you have questions for our guests just reach out 